Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode today came to me as the full moon kept me awake most of the night. I think it was two nights ago shining in the window on me and i think it affected my brain that could officially make me a lunatic but i i think that if the moon can affect you know raise the levels of complete oceans and cause tides i'm sure it has some effect on the brain and i felt like i got up that morning and the full moon was just setting i i got up at about 5 30 that morning the rooster was already crowing and I figured ah, I might as well get up and the, the full moon was setting and I, I was sitting there trying to wake up and this entire list of things came to my mind and I grabbed a pencil and I wrote down some thoughts and this episode, I, I am, I called it heckling the audience. Uh, when I was in Cedar Hill, we sometimes jokingly build ourselves as the only band in Atlanta that heckles the audience kind of a Don Rickles thing. We we didn't go overboard with it, but we did like to interact with the audience. And I was thinking about that, and it reminded me of all the things that I've encountered at gigs, of the several thousand gigs that I, I have done with Cedar Hill and Pony Express and, uh, you know, other organizations. And from your pedestal up on stage, you witness a lot of behavior and things out in the audience. And after 35 years of this, I don't sit around and remember that person that sat quietly in the second row and clapped politely at the end of the show. I I don't remember that. I know there were, that was the majority of the people. What you remember are the, the, the people that stick out and did strange things and unexplainable things and things that were amusing and things that were disgusting and, you know, all this stuff that the audience is a show too, is what I'm saying to the, to the band on stage. The audience is the show if you're paying attention to them. And so I jotted down this list. I'm just going to rip through this thing and. As I mention each item, I may, you know, tell you a little remembrance of something that occurred or maybe not, maybe just a flat out opinion. And as you perform, you're going to see lots of things like this and you're going to develop your own opinions about it. And in no way am I telling you what you should think about these things. I'm just going to talk about them. You decide whatever you want to. The first topic I want to mention is cloggers. And it's because cloggers have sort of gone away. But when I started in bluegrass, cloggers were really coming on strong. There were clogging groups. And it was very, very common. If if you got booked at a little festival, you know, like a, a city is having a little shindig and it's the, like I, I say, the peanut festival or the watermelon festival and they book a bluegrass band, they would also book a clogging group. And there were clogging classes and clogging groups. And 
it was mostly females. Some some guys did it, and there were there were some groups that were sort of a glorified version of square dancing, where it's sort of tap dancing while you square dance. But the majority of the groups that I saw, and it's probably because females tend to like dancing more than guys. Most guys have to be dragged onto the dance floor. So it would be this line of, of females wearing these, you know, frilly dresses, kind of countryfied outfits and tap shoes, you know, with metal taps on these shoes. It was just shoes, legs, frilly dress and big hair. That was sort of the clogger thing. And, you know, I am in no way denigrating cloggers. We loved them. They would be at so many of the gigs in the 80s. And oftentimes the cloggers would get called, get booked, and they would call us. They would recommend us to play. And usually the cloggers clogged to recorded tracks. They Or, or they carried tapes or they carried a record player or something. And sometimes it was funny because some of those uh, tape machines had speed controls and they could run the speed of their track up or down to suit their preferred clogging speed. And it was funny sometimes to hear the Osborne brothers doing Ruby or, well, that, that wouldn't be a good example, but to hear a bluegrass tune cranked up about two and a half notches to where, um, it sounded like chipmunks singing it, but you used to see that thing all the time. And a lot of times we would get called upon, Hey, you know, can you play music while we clog? That sort of thing was really cool. But what happened a lot of times too, and this is really in the early to mid eighties, I noticed it the most is that the cloggers knew that if they could come to the bluegrass gigs and clog, you know, like freestyle it and, you know, get some clogging action in at the bluegrass show. And Cedar Hill used to play at the airport Marriott at, next to the Atlanta airport on, I think it was every Sunday night and the cloggers would come and, you know, that formed a huge or a large part of the returning groupie audience. You know, they were coming every week and they would do their clogging stuff, mostly on the instrumentals. You know, they wouldn't clog over a a slow, pretty ballad or, you know, one of those murder ballads or something like that. But when you played Salt Creek, the cloggers would jump up and do their thing. And that was encouraged. But also there have been times when you were in the middle of playing and, you know, one or a group of cloggers would jump up and the clattering sound of those those uh, horseshoes on that wooden dance floor would just be incredibly loud. And sometimes it wasn't necessarily perfectly in time with the band. And the band would kind of have to shift to the beat of the cloggers rather than the cloggers shifting to the beat of the band. All I'm saying is those, we used to call them beer cans tacked on the bottom of their shoes were really, 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 really loud. And it would, could, could get very distracting, but I'll tell you what, we love the cloggers. And, and, you know, when I think back when I was 23, 24 years old and we were playing these things, the cloggers, those lines of cloggers were like, they were like the country fied version of the Rockettes to me. It was just a 
a bunch of legs and uh, tapping. You know, it was like crazy. It's the exact same thing that the Rockettes do at, where do they do that? Rockefeller Center. Anyway, cloggers. I have some fond memories of the cloggers, and they were great supporters of bluegrass, and it's kind of sad to, you just don't see that many clogging groups anymore. But on the other hand, the sound of those hoofbeats could be somewhat distracting sometimes. So enough about cloggers. Let me bring up the bane of every bluegrass player, and that is spoon players. There is always, well, not always, but frequently, somebody gets the idea to get some spoons. And this usually takes place at bar gigs or restaurant gigs where there's silverware laying around and some clown thinks he can play the spoons or maybe can play the spoons. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't good spoon players. We've had people get up with the band and play the spoons and, and played pretty cool. I mean, it was, it can be a musical instrument, but typically the spoon player barely knows his art and somebody gets the waitress to bring them some spoons and they start clattering away. Well, then the whole table decides they want to try it. And then pretty soon you got like 12 spoon players who can't play the spoons clattering away out there while you're trying to do your thing. And it's, it can be maddening. I would just say, you know, my general opinion on spoons is leave it at home, do that at home. <laughs> but you know, they are having a good time and I, I am a believer in the audience having a good time, but sometimes it's uh, not so fun for the band. Now, if you're a really great spoon player, Hey, you know, maybe you got to get in the front row and do your spoons and get noticed by the band, but you might want to come up and talk to the band and say, Hey, could I come on stage and, you know, clatter my spoons along with you on this, on a song. The unfortunate thing is as, as soon as you do that, half the drunk audience is going to decide that they're spoon players too. <laughs> you know, Hey folks, buy yourself a banjo or a mandolin, you know? It's it's weird because I'm on the fence about the spoons. I think the spoons are cool and a legitimate rhythm instrument. My grandfather used to do that. He used to pull out the spoons and play the spoons. Anyway, I, I don't know. Just bringing up spoons because I thought of it. Here's my next thing. Um, while I'm critiquing audiences in general, there is a, this has happened so many times where somebody in the audience is having a great old time and they're loving it. They're loving what you're doing. And I'm talking about bar gigs here. And they decide they're going to buy a round of drinks for the band. And sometimes they'll do this multiple times. I can't say that I, I you know, I, that I don't appreciate the gesture. You know, I do. I mean, that's a nice thing. You know, this guy is probably half drunk and he figures, hey, Buy, send up a round of tequila shots to the band. I can't tell you how many times this has happened, especially playing four years um, every Thursday night in a Mexican restaurant. It happened a lot. I have dumped a lot of shots of tequila into the plant at the side of the stage. I probably killed that plant. I don't know what you do to prevent this. I think, uh, you know, when... If you have some weaklings in the band that are just knocking them shots back and 
it encourages somebody else to do it or buying a round of beer or what, what a lot of times I think these audience members don't realize is that probably the band is already taken care of. A lot of times, you know, the, the restaurant or bar has got a little tab running, little deal with the band, you know, half price beers or free beers or whatever. This is already taken care of. And not everybody in the band drinks, you know, when you send up a round of five shots of tequila, you know, maybe this guy to my left wants it. And the guy to my right, he doesn't want it. And me, I don't need it. You know what I mean? So it's a wonderful gesture, but I think it'd be a better idea to come up and just chunk a 20 in the tip bucket or whatever the, that round of shots costs you. Then the fellows can, you know, pay their own bar tab and, uh, those that drink can drink and those that don't can skip it, you know, but boy, I've seen some, some meltdowns way back in the early eighties where uh, there was a guy, well, I, I want to, I'm not even going to go into that whole story. Uh, a few shots got consumed and it, it ended up not that pretty. Uh, here's the next thing. Clapping. There is a thing, and I've seen it mostly at with what I would classify as people who know less about bluegrass than those who are real fans of bluegrass. It's very common, especially at at kind of traditional bluegrass festivals, for there to be applause after your break. Not all the time. If it's all the time, you know it's contrived, and it doesn't seem sincere. But if somebody spontaneously claps after your banjo solo or your fiddle solo that makes the the band feel pretty good but it can be overdone you know sometimes people in the audience uh begin to think well we'll just clap after every solo and it, that can get to be too much because you know it's not sincere I, I don't really think there's any way to really control this i'm just making the observation you know Sincere clapping after a solo is kind of cool and it does make the musician feel appreciated, but I think it's wise to kind of do it and then taper it off and get it over with so that you don't interfere with what's coming next. Cause the applause comes at the end of the solo and then somebody's coming in singing and, or another soloist is coming in and it can make it hard to hear. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying, you know, do it kind of, in a sort of polite way, almost like clapping for a good putt if you went to the Masters Golf Tournament or something like that. Then there's another type of clapping, and that is the clap along with the beat. And that's the thing I see at the mostly when we have played in churches or when we have played for audiences who have very limited knowledge of bluegrass they uh, start clapping along like anything with a little upbeat tempo. And here it comes. And it's generally instigated by like the promoter or the MC or something. He's like trying to encourage the audience to clap along. You know, you bust into Rocky top and here it comes and they're clapping on the beat. Blam, 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 blam. And, Everybody feels obligated in the audience to clap along. Most of the people don't want to do it, but they just drug along by the 
zeitgeist of the moment. And invariably it drags, it's dragging, it's dragging down because you got a bunch of half-hearted people under some sense of obligation, clapping along on the beat and it's not fun. You know, you're, you're ripping along in the tune and then this clown stands up and starts clapping over his head. Like everybody, come on, clap, clap, like some kind of moron. And people start doing it because they've sort of been instructed to do it. And that they're doing it about 10 beats a minute slower. And the band is just like, Oh God, I, I don't like that, but Hey, there's nothing you can really do about it except observe it and go, man, that was weird. I've seen it mostly in churches when we've been called upon to perform in a church type setting. It's like you're playing those slow gospel numbers in that quartet and all this, and everybody's just clapping at the end, although they feel weird about it because I don't know if I should clap inside a church, but then here comes the quick number and here it comes. Clap, clap, clap all out of time. It's, it's, it's annoying, but Hey, it is what it is. And I suppose maybe the gist of this episode should be you have to learn to deal with this stuff because you're not going to be able to control it. And if you try to control it, you're just going to be viewed as some kind of a jerk or something. So just enjoy it. The next item on my list are bells and gongs and cowbells and stuff. We've played several places where there's this one person and their, their whole purpose in life they can their whole week revolves around going on saturday night sitting in the front row and holding a big giant cowbell and every time they think you did something good they they clang that darn cowbell played a great break clang 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 and to get the audience all riled up and it's usually like a woman about 75 years old well-known and well-liked, and she is a bluegrass fan. She's just chosen kind of a bizarre way to show it, you know, clanging a bell. I've seen some bars where they, they got a bell on the wall and somebody yanks the cord and clang, clang, clang whenever they're really digging it. And it's, it's like the Pavlov's dog. Uh, you know, it's the signal for everybody to respond. Well, I think that if they don't respond organically on their own, you know, it's not the same as when they're given the signal to respond. It's like the applause sign. And then the applause that follows that applause sign is not as sincere as the spontaneous applause without the applause sign, but they're a trip. If you've never experienced that the first time you do try not to get hacked off by it. Cause it's bizarre and it's weird. And it's certainly cacophonous to the ears and distracting, but take it all in stride because that person sitting at the front row, they are there every week and they love bluegrass. They just pick sort of an oddball way to show it. That same person is probably also, you know, the one that is the first in line to buy your CD. So don't get too down on these folks, but just realize there's not a lot you can do to control this situation. Uh, then let's turn to talking, talking, something I'm pretty good at. There is, um, you're in the middle of, you're, you're deep into the, the thought of this song and you're delivering this song and there's folks in the back or maybe in the front yakking it up. 
I mean, you know, there's not much you can do about that. If you call them out on it, they're going to hate you. So you have to not be distracted by it, but it's hard to not be distracted by it. And it's, it's, it would be nice if they were all just focused on you like a laser beam and really into what you're doing, but not everybody is. And it does vary with the type of gig. If you're, if you're playing for a truly a listening audience, that's not going to occur. And a lot of times if somebody is doing that, the guy next to him will start bad vibing him and giving him the elbow and saying, Hey, psh, Hey, knock it off. Cause some, some audiences are truly listening audiences and some are just, Hey, we're here having a good time, you know, and there's a band and you know, I'm seeing my friends I haven't seen in a year and I'm going to shoot the breeze with them and they don't, they're not there to listen. So you have to just understand that. Don't let it get under your skin. Uh, now one that does get into under my skin and I have done it and people in the band with me have done it. And it's, it's the kind of thing you need to limit and this you can control. And that is talking among the band members while you're performing. Sometimes you have to communicate with each other. You need to say, you know, some, somebody's looking at you like, what's that chord or, um, I, I don't know what, what all sorts of things get talked about. You know, the banjo player is taking his break and the fiddle player and the mandolin player have something they need to say to each other or they want to say to each other. It's usually about what are you going to, what are we playing next? Uh, do, do you see that guy back there in the back doing that? You see that dude? Uh, you know, whatever that can be controlled. Uh, it's a very bad thing to do to be carrying on even limited little whispering type conversations on stage while someone else is supposed to be the focus of attention. Your fiddle player is right in the middle of the, the most heart wrenching solo and he's pouring everything into it and he hears you and the bass player yakking about something in the Mac. Well, the, the audience is going to see this and be it's distracting for the audiences, you know, you can control that. So just, I think it'd be a good idea to talk about that as a band and say, Hey, fellas, boys and girls, when we get up there, if you got to whisper to each other, fine, you know, but let's not engage in conversations while performing and also in between songs. I mean, the same goes for in between songs. I've been up at the microphone introducing a song and into my spiel and you know a couple other band members are talking i can hear them i don't know if the audience can hear them but i get distracted by that and I kind of lose my train of thought so you can't do anything about the talking in the audience except by you know the type of gigs you you play and you you but you can do something about that on stage so if you're in a in a performing band, you know, think about that. When you're playing your great solo, you want everybody to be respectful of yours and not be telling a joke off to the side while it's going on. So, okay. Now, another thing that happens uh, is people flat out just ignoring the band. And as a performer, you have to get used to that. Not every gig is a performance. Sometimes you are the background music. You know, it's the happy hour gig and it's at this convention and from four to six, you're going to play in this room over in the corner 
they didn't come in there to hear you. They came there to network and talk and shoot the breeze and drink a couple of free drinks. Don't get upset by that. You know, those people are there to talk. Just do your thing over there and expect to be ignored. Playing to the backsides of people. That's a normal thing at most, at many, many good paying gigs. Sometimes they're the best paying gigs. Sometimes the worst paying gigs are the ones with the great listening audiences. Those opening act gigs or festival appearances. Anyway, get used to being ignored. And don't try to change the whole character character of the of the thing. If you're playing at a bar and the the front two thirds of the people, the two thirds of the people nearest you are paying attention, you're doing it right. If the front two thirds is ignoring you completely, maybe the problem is you need to, you know, work up a more entertaining show, learn how to interact with the audience, learn how to how to command the attention that you so crave, you know, maybe improvement of your show could change that. This isn't true at those concert type listening things. You walk out and you have their attention, whether you like it or not. And a lot of people don't know what to do with it. They've got all that attention. They just don't know what to do with it. That is requires work on your part too. But if you're playing one of these gigs where, it's not really a show and it's not really a listening audience to even try to turn it into that is a futile attempt. We have over the years when we were in those situations, especially if we were doing a strolling type thing, we were in the room, you know, some meeting hall at a hotel and there are tables all over the place and it's a happy hour type deal or socializing time or something before dinner. A lot of times they would ask us to stroll around and as we would come to each table, we would try to do a little mini show and get their attention and yuck it up with them, you know, do a little back and forth one-on-one with that table and don't worry about the rest of the room and then do two songs and move along and, you know, you can capture their attention on limited basis that way and it's fun for the audience to do that. Okay, enough about of talking and ignoring the band and all that. Here's another one that you'll, you will see, and you wouldn't think it would ever come up in a bluegrass environment, but this one, I just wrote down lewd behavior. (laughs) It does happen. I'm sure it happens more in certain types of music than others, but you're going to, if you do this enough, you're going to see some outlandish stuff that you're not going to go home and, uh, you know, tell your wife about. There was this, There was this lady in the front row. Oh, my God, you would not believe what she did. But all I'm saying is it does happen. Try not to encourage it and try not to uh, become too distracted by it. Uh, The next thing on my list are the people that like to get up with the band. And, you know, a little bit of that is okay. There are people who will come and see you over and over and over, and they really, really wish you would ask them to get up there and do that song, do that one song. And sometimes they're really good. They just don't have a band. So uh, this was especially true in Pony Express when we were doing that. We did an eight-year eight year stretch at two different locations. And it was so common that w- what we tried to do was just make a slot in the set for that to occur. And if we saw that person out there that we knew that, you know, that person, that 
girl right there, the, the girl with the blonde hair, she loves to get up and sing in the pines and she does a pretty good job of it. So, you know, we would talk to her before the show and say, Hey, you know, do you want to get up in the first set or the second set? And we would carve out these little spots in each set. And it was written on the set list as guest slot. And we tried to control who, who did it. We wanted to give them the opportunity because they would come week after week after week. But if you skipped them and didn't do it, you know, they might not. Maybe that's why they were coming was to just have that one opportunity to get up and be backed up by a really good band because it would sound really good. But you do have the risk of sometimes it's not going to sound good. You know, it's it's better to do a little um, exploratory research with the person, maybe doing a little jamming before the show and scope them out and see what you think before you bring them up on stage. But sometimes you just take the risk and you see how it goes. There was a guy that used to want to get up and he did this song. I don't remember what it was. It was not a bluegrass song. It was some really, really long song by the band or something. I don't remember. I do remember the guy. His name was Tony. Really nice guy. And he, what he would want to do was get up during our break. Hey, could I get up? Could I sing this song during the break? Well, we let him do it one night. Of course, he had to borrow somebody else's guitar, and that creates a bit of an issue because we don't know how this guy is going to treat that guitar. We don't know what he's going to do. Well, this fellow, Tony, he would play this song, and maybe a couple of the guys, the bass player and maybe the male player myself, would stay up there and just play along with him a little bit. We're thinking it's going to take three minutes. I've seen that thing stretch to eight, nine minutes just on and on and on and on. And we'd have discussions later on, you know, backstage, God, what do we get? We can't do this. We can't have that guy get up there and sing for 10 minutes during all of our breaks. Some people might not like that stuff. I don't know. What are we going to do? But then the guy would take our tip bucket and walk through the crowd during our next set, literally shaking down the audience for tips and come back up there with 150 bucks and tips in that bucket so we sort of like the guy, you know, but it's weird. You you have to be careful with the people getting up with the band. I'm not saying don't do it, but you got to be careful. You have to say it very precisely. You have to say, would you like to get up and do one song with us and hold up one finger right in front of their face when you do that? Get up and do one song with us. We'll put you in the second set. Now they know after that one song, it's over. And you do, hey, everybody, give Tony a big hand. And he sits back down. He's happy. You're happy. But you don't want to You don't want to say, hey, you want to get up with us during the second set? Because he may have five or six tunes he wants to do. And he may not know diddly about bluegrass and be over there beating on a guitar, messing you up. Um, we've also had, you will have people that want to get up with the band that they can't d differentiate between a jam session and a performance, you know, here we're the band we're booked, we're being paid to be here and we're doing our thing. And somebody casually comes in and thinks, Hey, this is a bluegrass jam. Let me go out to the car and get my Dobro. We had a guy one time start showing up sitting in the front row with his Dobro case right in front of his legs. Well, you know, we get to talking to him during the breaks and stuff. He's like, you know, he's really hitting around. He'd, you know, like to get up and play with us. So we thought, you know, okay, 
we'll stick you in during that third third set in that guest slot. So uh, what do you want to do? What song do you want to do? I'm trying to make it singular. You know, thinking he's going to do Fireball or something. Uh, well, so he does one. And it turns out he's pretty good. And, you know, we give him a thank. Hey, and and I, everybody liked it so much, they said, why don't you just stay up here and play the rest of the set with us? And then at the end of the night, we're thanking him and everything. That was fun. That was a whole lot of fun. We're thinking we're not going to see the guy ever again. The next week, we show up for the gig. He is already camped out on stage. Got him a chair. He is on stage. He is ready to play the whole night with us. Now what are we going to do? We got a new Dobro player in the band, and we didn't really want one. And anyway, I won't describe the whole scenario of how, how that ended and all. And we ended on a friendly basis with the guy, but we didn't need a six member. We didn't want somebody up there playing with us who didn't know our stuff and didn't know our arrangements and just totally turning the show upside down. But what I'm saying is be on the lookout for this kind of stuff, because a lot of this can be prevented if you just communicate clearly to people, you know, at the end of the night saying, you know, that was really great. That was fun to have you up here. And, and, you know, if you want to come and do one or two songs with us, anytime you want to do that, you just show up and we'd be happy to have you up here. But, you know, we're not really looking for a, for an additional member right now, but you know, if I ever hear of anybody that's looking for a Dobro player, I'll give you a call. Give me your number. You know, there are ways to make it very clear without hurting somebody's feelings. On the other hand, you may have just found your sixth member. You might want this guy. You know what I'm saying? Just be prepared. These things happen at gigs. That's the, uh, I wrote down on my notes. Can Bob get up and do one? You know, uh, now let me just very quickly talk, talk about tips versus requests. Um, first of all, I'm not ashamed of putting out a tip bucket, tip jar. Not at all. I view it as you're giving the audience an opportunity to support you financially and dropping money in that bucket is a way of them saying, Hey, we like you and I'm not going to stop them from doing it. And you know, if you spend any time in the trenches at all, you'll, you'll find some good uses for that money. There've been a many a night I've left a gig, had the tip money doled out and we got paid with a check. Didn't have that, but I, you know, I'm pretty low on gas and I'd head straight across the, the street 12 o'clock at night and take that 10 bucks and put it in my gas tank. I've done that many a time. So it is appreciated. If you're that band member who doesn't need the tips, you know, just take your share and do with it what you want. Give it to the other guys, give it to the waitress, throw it away, give it to your grandkid. I don't care, but there might be some fellas in the band or gals in the band that, uh, you know, appreciate the cash. Uh, here's another thing. You will see it gigs, especially if you get one of these regular gigs where you're the band that plays on Thursday night type of gig. You're going to get folks that show up, and this happened on several occasions over the years, who see that there's bluegrass happening here, and they want it. They want to know how they get in on this because they're in a bluegrass band. And they don't know if it's like you're there regularly every week and it's your gig or whether this is like a rotating deal and this place hires bluegrass and they're feeling it out. They're coming and, and they'll ask you about it. 
you don't want to just shoot those people completely out of the saddle because there's going to come a time when you can't do the gig. There were doing this for eight years straight. There were occasions when we couldn't do it. Maybe two members were on vacation and it was, it was a problem trying to find fill in people. And we did from time to time have another band just completely fill in for us on that night happened, you know, 10, 15 times over those eight years. So that's a good thing to, to tell those people. If it is your personal steady gig, you know, go ahead and talk to them say, Hey, you know, once in a while we can't do this thing. Would you, would you want, do you guys want to do it? Here's what, here's the deal. We get supper, we get 300 bucks and we get free beer. Do you, you guys into it? You want me to call you? You know, you can make relationships with other bands who can help you out. Um, Another type of thing you'll see at gigs quite often are the people who come and they see it's a bluegrass band playing and it's, you know, they come, but they want a jam. What they want is a jam. Uh, do you guys, you know, do you jam? Is this like a jam? Could we turn this into a jam? And actually that gig, that Thursday night gig that we did for so long, we were approached so many times by people saying, hey, you know, is there a jam? Is there a jam? That we we started a jam and we we went on. I think we played from eight to eleven. So I started a six o'clock to eight o'clock jam. And what was disappointing about it to me was a few jammers started showing up, and they would play outside on the patio. And our band was busy. We were trying to set up. Sometimes one of our one or two of our guys would get in there and jam with them a little bit. But this little jam took place, you know, prior to our performance that week. But these people, as soon as we started, would hop in the car and leave. They'd come there, they'd drink water, they would not order any food, and they would leave. Not everybody, but they were not supporting the venue, the restaurant that was putting all this on. It wasn't everybody. Sometimes people would come and jam and then go in and order, you know, a plate of tacos and a couple of beers and watch the band. And, you know, that was what the restaurant owner wanted. They didn't just want people just coming up there picking. And then when their little personal picking was over, they leave. And it was sort of insulting to the band in a way. I mean, it wasn't everybody, but it was a fairly sizable percentage of the people that came to jam. That was the only reason they came. And once they got that, they were gone. And so we tapered that thing off and eventually stopped it. Anyway, um, if you do go to a place to jam, support the place. If, if it weren't for that band that has the performance after the jam, there wouldn't be a jam. So stick around, support those people, support the place, buy a sandwich, buy, you know, I've preached this enough and I'm sure I don't even need to tell you this stuff. You're not, you, the listener to grass talk radio are not the type of person that would do that. I'm quite confident. Uh, the last thing on my list, and then I'm going to wrap it up for this week is just something that just randomly popped in my head. And that is something that's fairly new. And that is people in, in, the, in the audience taking pictures, taking videos and taking photographs of you performing and posting it all over the internet, primarily on Facebook and Twitter and 
I guess Snapchat and I, I don't know where, uh, Instagram. Yeah. These things, I want you just to be aware that they happen and they can be good for you and they can be bad for you. You know, generally speaking, the quality of somebody holding their phone up and shooting 12 seconds of video, the odds of that creating a good impression of your performance is very low, you know? So there are some ways to sort of, you can't prevent that from happening. You just flat out can't prevent it. But you can do some things to try to assist to make it as good as it can. One very simple thing, we, we did this for years, is if you see somebody standing up to take a picture, strike a pose. I mean, at least look at the camera and put on a smile. You can do that. You know, ham it up a little bit. That, that photo is going to be seen by some people. Um, also, uh, another thing you can do is try to notice who's doing it. And at the first break, the next break, go straight to them, give them a business card and say, Hey, could you send me those pictures? Can you email me? I, I saw you taking pictures. Could you, could you send them to me? Then you pick out the good ones that you like and post them all over your social media stuff and your website. And it may be a way to make a new acquaintance there too. Um, with videos, it's tough because people are shooting all kind of really crummy videos and usually it's the audio that's so bad and they'll post them on YouTube and they'll post them on Facebook. There isn't much you can do about that. I, I really don't know the solution there except to produce some videos of your own. We used to have a guy that was a wedding videographer. He was a big fan of the band and he shot a lot of video and we would, this was before the YouTube days, but had it been post YouTube, we would have taken some choice selections of that stuff and posted it ourselves. But anyway, I'm not sure what the solution there is, but other than if you notice a camera, try to be on your best behavior, you know? And, but if you can get to them afterwards, maybe you can say, Hey, when you post that, would you, would you put a link there to our website? Cause a, a lot of these videos go up and they'll say, Hey, we saw this band last night. It doesn't even say who you are, you know, and, and they're hard to find. Cause if you're not a friend of their friend of their friend, you know, you may not ever even see this stuff. Anyway, maybe you can come up with a better solution for that. That is enough talking about what goes on at shows and the audience. Let me just say, thanks for listening to the show. If you've got ideas for future topics, send them to me. You can get my email over there at, Go to my website, bradleylaird.com, and at the top there's a button there that says contact, and you can get a hold of me that way. And thanks to everybody who has purchased any of my ebooks and instructional videos. Thanks a bunch. Spread the word about the show. Uh, if you're listening to this, especially if you listen to more than one, you must like it to some degree. Tell somebody else about the show. You'll be doing me a big favor when you do that. Y'all take care, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.